Leading requires vision, but leading for peace is visionary. Our guest, Mike Hardy, founded the Center for Trust, Peace, and Social Relations at Coventry University in England. He discusses what leading a unique organization requires, including forging and communicating its vision. Vision and values are key tenets in the Innovative Leadership Institute's framework, too. To discover more about our framework and learn more about these podcasts, surf over to InnovativeLeadership.com. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We are broadcasting live from West Palm Beach at the International Leadership Association Conference with Mike Hardy. And today we are going to talk about his work at the Center for Trust, Peace, and Social Relations. So, Mike, will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I'm a professor of intercultural relations, which is quite a mouthful. But it reflects (laughs) um, a very progressive university, my university, Coventry who I joined with the explicit intention of supporting a growth in scholarship around peacefulness, around peace Mm -hmm. and reconciliation. Coventry is an iconic city for peace and reconciliation, a wonderfully interesting city that was more or less destroyed by the conflagration of the Second World War. And out of the ashes of war came a commitment to peace, reconciliation and forgiveness driven by the people of Coventry. And now that's Mm -hmm. reflected in, in the work we're doing. But I had an interesting sort of background. I was a trained economist. Originally, I was an economist at Leeds and Lancashire universities. I was very fortunate because I took my economics, decided it wasn't very helpful for examining and assessing things going on in the world, and retooled. My center is focused on peacefulness and peaceful relations, but it builds around positive peace. For us, peace and peacefulness is not the antidote to war. It's not what you impose on disorder. We're interested in peace as intrinsically as a valuable thing in its own right. So we can study, and my, my scholars do, peace in peaceful places, how to get it, how to keep it. And this is much more consistent with the contemporary views about sustainable peace and how we can create relationships between people that don't always lead to violent conflict. That's not to say we don't take seriously the degree of violence in the world and mm-hmm. the conflict. And mm-hmm. we're seeking, of course, among the work we're doing to resolve some of those conflicts and to help leaders find ways through, maybe by promoting dialogue, which is my mm-hmm. particular interest, or debating interfaith relations, mm-hmm. or looking at the role of women as peace builders, or looking at the way in which we accommodate or not migrants as they flee conflict mm-hmm. or they mm-hmm. seek economic benefit. I was interested in how cities of multicultures work and why is it that some, like the city of Queens in New York, for example, mm-hmm works so much better than others. And we need to understand the big challenges facing humankind, climate, poverty, the absolute poverty of people. And you know, the third big challenge is how we're going to live with difference, how different races, different genders, different ages, different ethnicities, different faiths, we're going to live together because this is a planet in which interconnectivity Mm -hmm. requires that in a sense. So that's what my center does. We started in 2013 with 11 people. If I tell you now, Maureen, that we're 198 people, this is a force to be reckoned with. This isn't going to go away anymore. We've, we've reached a stage where we're, we have a critical mass and we're building the sort of reputation that scholarly institutes need. So as an institute, it's coming. Yeah. 
And as a field of study, is this a relatively new field? Peace studies as such has been around for as long as we've had conflict. And it is a field of study. It's not a discipline. It's Mm -hmm. a domain which we can populate as we do. Increasingly, this is done throughout um, higher education and throughout policy Mm -hmm. institutes Mm -hmm. by drawing on multiples of disciplines. So we have Uh anthropologists, we have social psychologists, we have economists, we have political scientists. Mm -hmm. We have people from the business world looking at trust. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the, I think it's a rich domain which is focused around the thematics for peacefulness. We even have spiritualists. We have people looking <laughs> at from, from faiths and religions okay. and theology. We have contextual theology. Mm-hmm. So, and I've been, I've been really encouraged by the synergy that happens. You mm-hmm. add two economists together and they don't reach an agreement. You add an economist <laughs> to a political science to a social anthropologies, then you have magic. Then you have the potential, mm-hmm. not only for an agreement around a problem, mm-hmm. but much more important for me is, are we asking the right questions? And that's the issue. So we're not, we're focused on problems, we're focused on challenges, but I think the responsibility of good academics is to be asking the right questions. So what is the biggest question in your mind right now? We've talked about democracies and how they are facing ebbs and flows. Mm. What is your personal biggest first? So I go back to two very influential writers for me personally. Mm -hmm. When I went the transition from economics to what I do now, which is hard to describe, but Mm -hmm. the the first was the philosopher Karl Popper, who was writing after the, in the mid to late 1940s. And his observation was that society is under constant strain. We don't get to a place where it's relaxed. The Mm. constant strains of modernity, he wrote about. Mm -hmm. And I think the way in which we deal with shocks, with strains, Mm -hmm. with 9-11, with Iraq, with migration, Mm -hmm. with the problems of Brexit and the decision Mm -hmm. to leave the European Union, with building walls between countries. As long as we have shocks... The mm-hmm. challenge will be how we deal with them. Do we deal well with them or, we, or do we retreat into some sort of chaotic ad hocery? Mm-hmm. So the second, I'm influenced by the German sociologist Harmut Rosa. And he wrote a wonderfully complex book, which is, is brilliant. And its, it's title is Social Acceleration. Okay. And so his thesis is that a characteristic of modernity, in addition to these constant strains of Popper, mm-hmm. is that everything's happening so quickly and that the pace of change mm-hmm. is the critical challenge, not change mm-hmm. itself. So you and I, because we're normal sort of people, I think. My friends may not yeah, say so. Yeah. We yeah. react sometimes quite in quite difficult ways to change. When change comes mm-hmm. along, we don't like it and we process it mm-hmm. and then we come to terms with it. Mm-hmm. Rosa will tell you, we'll write, and I, I, I love his ideas that Pace of change is so quick now that, that we've run out of space to process it. So what happens then is that you get things like fear. So, so for it, people who would normally be capable of integrating and metabolizing yeah. change, yeah. when overwhelmed, withdraw, act fearfully, yeah. and, and in some cases they're angry. Yeah, and, and some people process it better than others. You know, when 800,000 Syrian Afghan Iraqi refugees arrived on the frontier of Germany. Mm-hmm. Angela Merkel took a view that we could accommodate them. We should open our country. We should welcome them because they're traumatized people. Because, as she said, that was the right thing to do. 
But you can imagine how many Germans sitting in their communities didn't quite process it as quickly. And we have to understand that, that the arrival mm -hmm. of so many people appearing very alien to you in their mm -hmm. dress, in their values, in their religion, in their food, bewildered and uncertain. And I think Rosa's analysis would be that the speed at which that happens makes the challenge even greater. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there are two things. The fact that how do we deal with the big shocks that are going to come? We cannot prevent the constant no, strains. The, so yeah. we have to protect ourselves against it. Mm -hmm. And I think scholars have to find better understandings, better theories of change. They have mm -hmm. to test ideas out against evidence to see if well, there are a few pointers. And can we support our leadership better? Can we rely on leaders if they're ill-equipped to deal with the constant strains and the pace mm -hmm. of change? Mm -hmm. That's really, well, that's my take on it. So conversations from this week, a couple stand out to me mm. as I'm listening. One is, is the one on way showing. Mm. So uh, many leaders, there is no best practice for these shocks because they're things we haven't dealt with before. Mm. So the 800,000 refugees on the border of Germany, that's probably not happened 12 times in, in history. Mm. Angela Merkel needed to make a decision based on her her values and her inner sense of right and and purpose. So that way showing and how do we plot a path forward knowing it's going to be imperfect, but what are the resources we draw on when there is no roadmap? Exactly. And, you know, it wasn't a simple issue as I described it. It never is. Mm -hmm. But I think the German government recognized the popular anxiety mm -hmm. around, you know, the, the, the the poor Syrian baby boy that was washed up on the coast of Greece. Mm -hmm. This this pricked a, a sense of responsibility in people, and the, and the leadership in Germany, Merkel and her her team, were able to respond to that. And I think mm -hmm. it's quite complex. I think if the pragmatic in them would say, "This is chaos," you know, we're going to lose the election if we do this. Mm -hmm. And so the answer, I think, to the question is in way showing is about have we the confidence to draw on our head and our heart mm -hmm. in the right balance, in the right mm -hmm. way. Do we become rationalist or, or do we become emotional? No, and it's we do a balance both. Of both. It's yeah. absolutely both. Yeah. And the successful leaders are those who have the confidence to mm -hmm. think about the balance. Mm -hmm. They don't always succeed. But, you know, too many of our leaders don't care, I'm afraid to say. They go for one or other or they, mm -hmm. they do a knee jerk. You know, I, I talk in our work, you know, research on trust about the importance of leaders who are predictable. Mm -hmm. Predictability comes not from being unwilling to change. It comes from drawing on experience from head and heart mm -hmm. to react in a similar way to a similar shock. Mm -hmm. And the more you do that, your followers are more likely to say, okay, we'll run with that. Yeah, I may not like it. Exactly. But I, one, I believe that, or I hope, that that's people making some of these decisions know more than I do. And our leaders are being consistent. This is what they did last time. They've tweaked it a little. They've changed it a little. Mm -hmm. This is slightly mm -hmm. different context. But they're not doing something radically different. They're not knee-jerking, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. a bit of slang. But th they're not doing it in a sense off the top of their head. They're doing it from mm -hmm. a balance of heart and head, which I think is quite important. I do as well. And I don't know that we teach people how to do that. If we can. I mean, I, I think you're right. I think, however, critical methodology and being self-aware, mm -hmm. um, starting with self mm -hmm. and drawing other people to that 
better awareness of mm -hmm. self. These are things we can do more of. And I think mm -hmm. you're right. We don't do enough of them. I actually taught a class years ago, and it was through the wisdom of, of the person who helped design it on decision-making that integrated intuitive decision-making and rational decision-making. Mm -hmm. But I haven't seen much like that mm -hmm. that really looks at the intuition as a sixth sense. We talk about it that way. But then we say, my intuition says this, and, and either I'm emotional and I go off with that and don't collect the data, or I collect the data and when they conflict, I don't know what to do. And this body of work talked about the sixth sense often cueing me to guide where I collect more information. Mm -hmm. So at the place where they disagree, that's the invitation to, to learn more. Hmm. So it's, it's really hard. But, and I think that we should spend more time on the way we behave than what we do. Let's talk a little bit about why people who aren't traditionally students of leadership scholarship, why would they want to know about this? So there's a very long answer and there's quite a short, succinct one, and I'll go with the <laughs> latter. So we talked, you know, in the last segment about peace studies being a mm -hmm. new sort of mm -hmm. field of study. I think leadership is similar. Leadership isn't a discipline, but it's something that is of huge importance to mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. So whether we look at leaders or the way they lead or followers and the way they follow, mm -hmm. the notion that the, the reality is that good leaders can make a huge positive difference mm -hmm. and bad leaders can do a really serious amount of damage. Mm -hmm. And where you have no leadership at all, you tend to have chaos. So the, in, um, a, in a nutshell, leadership uh, is important. And pulling on what you talked about in the last segment, mm -hmm. The the rapid change yeah. and the unpredictable change. Yeah. I think there are new challenges for leaders more than any any time in our mm -hmm. history. Social media interconnectedness, the pace of change, mm -hmm. the big global shocks, the crisis on climate, and and so forth and so on. Look at the sustainable development goals that the international community mm -hmm. has set. Mm -hmm. These are real challenges for leaders. So, isn't it reasonable then to argue very forcefully? that anyone who has some resource to bring to that challenge mm -hmm. should do so. And mm -hmm. the ILA is a, is a wonderful example of a, an association that does just that. It corrals together, uh, mobilizes a set of resources. And we believe, with my ILA hat on, these are trusted resources. These are mm -hmm. resources that haven't got an mm -hmm. agenda. They're not out to promote a particular mm -hmm. thing. From practitioners, from academics, from policymakers, Anyone who has something serious to say about how leadership can be improved mm -hmm. facing all these global mm -hmm. issues and so forth, and even down to leadership in your family or community, mm -hmm. you know, that's important too. Mm -hmm. So the International Leadership Association, two words that are quite important there. International is that, hang on, there is no one nation, state, or culture mm -hmm. that has the answer to everything that's mm -hmm. transferable. So we need to take many different mm -hmm. international concepts and, and experiences and association. We need to link and connect mm -hmm. and we need to associate good ideas with other good ideas. And I wonder certainly also for people who, who will again say, well, I don't do anything international. Mm -hmm. The conversations I've had just in the last couple of days mm -hmm. are amazingly applicable for people who are also not working internationally. So I happen to live in the U.S. and we're talking about, do you mandate women on boards? Yeah. There's good research on how to attend to that. Mm -hmm. Another women's topic, how does tone 
impact how we're perceived. Mm. How do I express anger as a mm. woman? Uh, those aren't even international issues. They also happen to be. And yesterday on ethics and how, mm -hmm. how do we address ethics in this current time? So for people who are thinking that if you're not doing a role that is international, this isn't for me, I just wanted to clarify that that it is also so, for folks. Yeah, and it's a good question, any, Maureen. Any country. The, the issue for me is the importance. I don't like to wordsmith. I know, yeah. I know I'm an academic and so forth. There is a huge difference between being global Mm -hmm. and being international, which allows us to respond to your, your question. Mm -hmm. Being international means you take your national context, the place, mm -hmm. and you compare it with another national context and place. Mm -hmm. Between the two nations, uh -huh. you may reach a better understanding than if you stay in one nation. Mm -hmm. As opposed to, and others might disagree with my analysis, mm -hmm. but as opposed to global, in which there is one way of, of working, Global capitalism says that you are a capitalist in the same way in different places. It's global. There's one model. This is mm -hmm. how you do it. Profit mm -hmm. man, you know, profit runs. The bottom mm -hmm. line's important. Largely, that's, that's, that's the case. Whereas in international relations, it's the richness is, is the compare and contrast. Is the, can we take experience from one mm -hmm. place and give it to another? And I'll give you an example on women. You wouldn't expect American debate around the role of women to usefully draw on the experience of uh, women in rural communities in Java in Indonesia. Why wouldn't you? Because these are hugely different places, mm -hmm. different levels of education. Mm -hmm. In Java, it's a patriarchy, pure and simple. Okay. The men rule. The women are there to serve. That's mm -hmm. a centuries-old thing that's changing, of course, very rapidly. In the United States, there are people saying, you're trying to do that. We're resisting. And, you know, it's been a battle. What's happening currently in Indonesia is fascinating. Women are seeing that by empowering themselves mm -hmm. as a gender, society can improve. And we're having the emergence of challenge, not in, in the sort of gender sort of challenge that we have here in the United mm -hmm. States, mm -hmm. but much more constructive challenge that says, what if we change this natural order? Mm -hmm. And by the way, shall we go to Sumatra in northern Indonesia, where there are matriarchies, where there are societies and whole communities where the women are in charge? And they function equally effectively. Differently. Equally effectively, but differently. And so I think the power of international comparison creates a humility mm -hmm. for you here in the nation state mm -hmm. to say, maybe I can learn something from over there. So we were talking at this conference, as you know, about the problems facing democracy. And it's mm -hmm. pretty challenged at the moment. But we were inspired by the contribution from Central and Eastern Europe that have had, mm -hmm. in a post-communist world, have had a democracy for 30 years. So they haven't got anywhere near the seven or 800 years that we've had. Mm -hmm. But the lessons that they're, they're bringing to us are astonishing about how do you get people engaged? How do you keep with it when it's difficult? How, mm -hmm. Because it's worth fighting for, as opposed to the... The comments here in, in the media and journals are... Here being the U.S. Here today. in the U.S., I apologize. Uh, it's in crisis. You know, the whole thing's falling apart. We've got anarchy. We've got totalitarianism. You know, socialism's around the corner. <laughs> we've got uh, bombs being sent to former presidents. Exactly. So, so what the, the breath of fresh air from the international comparison in Central and Eastern Europe is, look, this is hard, mm -hmm. but it's worth fighting for. Hang in. Don't over-dramatize. Really don't over-dramatize. Yeah. 
for them looks one way, for us yeah. in the U.S. looks a different way. But but there is concern about does does the system work anymore? Yeah. yeah. So I've also been inspired. You know, you asked about the, the International Leadership Association has done this job of corralling and mobilizing mm-hmm. resource, mm-hmm. creating a trusted place for leadership scholars and practitioners and mm-hmm. policymakers mm-hmm. to debate things and create a resource that people could draw on. And but the, maybe that's not enough, Maureen. You know. So what what else? Because we both agree that or and we engaged our life's work around the importance of leadership, mm-hmm. it, especially in a time that is in great flux. Good leaders, effective leaders drive how the world unfolds, how mm-hmm. these events unfold. So what's not enough? What's missing? Well, I suppose it's moving from rhetoric to reality. Okay. So it's moving from talking and analyzing and sharing and debating, all of which mm-hmm. are really important, yeah. to yeah. setting an agenda for change. So in the, the strategic positioning of the organization that we've been looking at for the last couple of years, we've tried to be bold. We've tried to say, look, 20 years, we've achieved an mm-hmm. enormous amount. We've yeah. gone from a university think tank to a 501c3. We're a major organization, mm-hmm. nearly 3,000 members in 70-odd countries. But maybe we need now an agenda for change that Mm -hmm. we're not going to ever be a campaigning organization, Mm -hmm. but we're an organization, as Catherine, our our current chair says, Mm -hmm. of activists. Ah. So we're we're not a campaigning, Mm -hmm. um, lobbying organization, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but we should be active and we should be activists. And I'm going to talk about, in the closing plenary, about deliberative action. So I want a whole set of agendas that says, okay, we understand these these issues better now because we're good scholars, mm-hmm, we're good mm-hmm. practitioners, we've drawn in policymakers. But it's what my colleagues in the center at Coventry know me well for. Mm-hmm. It's Mike's so what? <laughs> the big question we have mm-hmm. when people propose a research project to me, I'm tend at the end of the debate and discussion to say, well, so what? What's going to change in the lives of ordinary people mm-hmm. by what you're proposing to mm-hmm. research or practice or mm-hmm. do? You know, I'd, and I'd say the same of um, of politicians. You've got this idea for a new policy, a new legislation, mm-hmm. a new rule or law. You want to set a new code of conduct. What is going to be the impact on the lives of ordinary people? Tell me that. If you can tell me that, then, we, then we'll move forward. And the same is true of the ILA. Mm-hmm. You want to have this seminar, this webinar. You want to have this uh, member interest group, this affinity group. You want to focus on that. All mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. No problem at all. But the so what question will come more and more. And how can we convert your passion, your interest, your commitment, your mm-hmm, energy mm-hmm. into changing the world to become a better mm-hmm, place mm-hmm. than it is? Because it needs to be better. It needs to be better. And I keep saying, if we look at the arc of history, people's life expectancies are higher. We have less violent crime, although it's not gone. We have fewer people dying of starvation, but not, not enough. So we're making improvements, and yet there's a great deal of work to do. So I knew I normally push back on that, you know, because mm-hmm. I think we are in a better place at a macro level than meta levels when mm-hmm. you look down. Yes, it's a more peaceful world than we've ever mm-hmm. had, but the type of violent conflict has changed. Mm-hmm. You'll be aware we don't have nation-to-nation battles as much as we Genocide. used to. Genocide. Genocide. Yeah. We don't have... France going to war with Germany 
We don't have, mm -hmm. you know, a, a the Alamo. Mm -hmm. But what we do have now is an increasing amount of person-to-person -person violence, murder mm -hmm. rates, mm -hmm. domestic violence. You know, at, at, on the violence side, we're quite a, a violent place still. Mm -hmm. um, we're not as peaceful as we should be. On the economic front, yes, the, the macroeconomic um, aggregate variables are wonderful in terms of poverty, mm -hmm. but there's more inequality than ever before. Mm -hmm. You know, one in four babies in the United Kingdom in my country are born in poverty. How can that be? You know, that, of course, the UK is a rich and prosperous country and it comes at, in the top quartile mm -hmm. of, of, of industrial states. But we have families that are just about managing on a daily basis. And we have, you know, um, austerity in, in social welfare. Real problems. Same with the US. Yeah. And these are we advanced have a countries. Lot of My city, we're, mm -hmm. we're one of the top 15 cities in the country. Oh. And we have a lot of people who are poor and and relying on food banks. And it creates, you know, new challenges for leadership. Mm -hmm. What do you do with homelessness? You clear them out of your city and they go to another city. That's often the case. The problem. No, or you, or you incarcerate them. You know, mm -hmm. we have a problem. We have a problem in that um, the, and it's mainly about the distribution issues, I think, mainly about that. But we are in a better place. Mm -hmm. And I'm a, I'm a passionate believer that we shouldn't rely on nostalgia to misguide us that we were, you know, it was better back then. It oh, was always better back then. It wasn't. But no, it's actually better now. And we will talk in a different interview yeah. on the importance of reliance on facts sure. and data. So we have now, I think, more resources, more ideas, more technology, more talent mm -hmm. to resolve some of the problems we know. We've mm -hmm. got 17 sustainable development goals. They describe an abhorrent progress, I think, of, mm -hmm. of the humankind's project. Mm -hmm. To be in 2018 and, and admit that these 16, 17 are problems of the magnitude mm -hmm. they are is a mm -hmm. problem. Mm -hmm. But we have, as I said, more resources, more talent, more ideas. We have a global growth that can be spent in that direction if we choose to do it. We have people looking at it. Yeah. And now that we're, people aren't living at subsistence, we have a class of people, a group of people, yeah. maybe class is not the right word, who are liberated from farming and yeah, yeah. getting and they move on. on a daily they basis. They can fly. You know, we have EasyJet, we have internet, we have interconnectedness that's mm -hmm. easier and cheaper than ever mm -hmm. before. And we're going to have to come to terms with that. So one minute, wrap up. What do you want to accomplish? I know I'm putting you on the spot. Do you have one big goal for next year or one big hope, aspiration? I think we're, we're on a very good track in terms of the, the Project ILA, but I want more members, I mm -hmm. want more reach, and I want more engagement. So there are three things. So I want, what does that get you? <laughs> Why? Gets, it gets me more access as an influencing agency to okay. good practice. And the okay. good practice was, has ripple effects for a better world. Beautiful. Thank you. Welcome to the final segment, and we are talking to Cynthia Cherry. Cynthia is the president and CEO of the International Leadership Association. The ILA is a global network of leadership scholars, educators, and practitioners. Welcome and congratulations on wrapping up your 20th anniversary conference. Well, Maureen, I don't believe it's a pleasure to be with you and share some of the ideas, thoughts that came out of our 20th conference, which was titled Authentic Leadership for Progress, Peace and Prosperity. 
I think one of the things that we have talked about significantly is around these geopolitical shifts that are occurring in our world. And I think it was so evident in our three plenary speakers and our Lifetime Achievement Award recipients who also talked about this. But in terms of starting off with our keynote, Donna Latkin from the UK, when she talked about authentic leadership, and she discussed it in such an interesting way, um, based more on the notion of resonating with instead of being unique. And it really was a nice place to lean into the conference in thinking about how authenticity is more about a deliberate process more and about self-questioning. And so it's more about who do I want to be rather than who am I? And I thought that was such a lovely way of starting off the conference. But really, we have a lot of conversation around our Frankfurt society and what's happening politically in the world in the shifting landscape. I think Barbara Kellerman did a nice job of talking about how we are just seeing things unfold politically around the world. If it's Venezuela and Brazil or Egypt or Turkey or France with the ongoing demonstration or the UK or the US and then the um, panel, Democracy on the Run, with was chaired by Mike Hardy, who is the uh, new chair of the board of the ILA and colleague from around the world, talking about how democracy is really in peril at this point. Um, so as we looked at those kind of anchors in the plenary, it was a lovely way kind of engage in the conversation around not just authenticity, but what's really happening in the world today. And I thought, Pete, that you did, Maureen, in talking about how leaders need to have new tools to solve highly complex problems is so evident today. You know, that's one of the things that so resonates with me exactly in the context of what you're talking about. The world is getting more complex, and I, as a leader, can feel so overwhelmed, and there there is the self-awareness, and I love the idea of talking about not only who am I now authentically, but who am I evolving into as the world's evolving, and that co-evolution really does capture then the idea that as a leader... I'll have more complex tools, but I also, as the tool doing the leadership, I'm actually that the one engaging in that process. I too need to become more complex as a being to be able to meet the challenges that seem to be increasing at an ever escalating rate. I think one of the things as I was reading your piece and thinking about complexity and the new tool, there's there is no question that we need to develop those leadership tools around what I would call being a, a complexity translator mm. um, or somebody who sees uh, pattern, so pattern cognition. And the other that you mentioned about being self-aware and also other-aware. So there's a self-awareness and an other-awareness that is so critical in today's work because we really are shifting in terms of how we think about leadership. 
And, and there's, there's no question that people still study it from that person point of view, right? Mm-hmm. The great man theory, the trait theory, the personal perspectives to the position or the process. I think more and more we are talking about purpose mm-hmm. and talking about the whole sense of leadership, followership, and context, and then taking that to another level. And which we talked about, which is about place or the bigger system around the ecosystem, right? How do we look at geography and culture and society and the organization and the greater community? Because that's part of the complexity of today. So in our world, we have to think in very complex ways and think of complexity. And at the same time, brings into play new tools that we're talking about. And at the same time, the traditional still exists. And so we truly do have our feet in both worlds. There still is the traditional hierarchy that we need mm-hmm. to be aware of, which has a certain set of tools that we need to continue to develop and work on. And the tools for this complex world, which are different. It's not an either or, it's an and both, which makes it even more complex. You know, as you're speaking, you're you're saying the words that were very much in my mind that I need to know all of the things I knew in a traditional society and layer on, especially if I'm leading in in an environment that that has multiple stakeholders, some who will probably be very traditional and may continue in that traditional context long term. And yet my job is often in that place of synthesizing and seeing patterns and understanding how each participant or each stakeholder group and group can be a small group or it can be a large international companies, how all of those fit together as they are each shifting every single day. And so this it's this ongoing I'm thinking almost of a Tai Chi move where where this it's this fluid motion in the mind of the leadership team. So leaders, followers, stakeholders, I, I have to manage myself, but there were so many now involved in any one of those engagements and each one is subjected to their own different ecosystem. So navigating that level of complexity it just seems daunting. Does, doesn't it? And especially we think today in this interconnected world where everything is connected to everything else. I love the example that you just used. And one that I describe is, is how we have to think about how everything kind of rests within a smaller unit, but grows and is within a larger unit, much like Russian dolls nested in each other. And as you open one, you discover another and you discover another. And they're all related. They're all interconnected. It's simple and it's complex. When you think about business today, I mean, we, we started off thinking about the political leadership and what's happening because that's so in front of us on a daily basis. I think of the complexities that our leaders within the business world are navigating today. And they to look at this sense of purpose within their own organization and for the greater good. Mm-hmm. How do they transfer or transcend 
multiple communities with the work that they're doing, the people, the product, but the greater sense of purpose because of the interconnectivity of today. You know, as you talk about purpose, as I step back and, and think about the individual leaders I work with and their constituents in the U.S. at this moment in time, we're having a labor shortage in some spheres, in many spheres, and companies are attracting people based on a sense of purpose, that I get to go to work and get paid to do something that has an impact. And so I just was in conversation with someone in, a, in the technology community that is managing a product that's helping people who are, have had health issues and have been on opiates to manage the pain. And so this person who's an IT guy has now helped save hundreds of lives. And his choice to, to take this job, keep this job, and move forward in the organization is so much based on his sense of purpose and accomplishment. And as companies, even though, especially large corporates, we have to pay stockholders, we, we pay, it seems like everyone, all of our vendors and, and others, and we can lose sense of that the true purpose for, for our organization, it's easy to lose track of that when we're managing this complex landscape. They said, so I mean, these competing values that we have within global organizations and even smaller organizations reminds me of some work that was done by Gallup in talking about engagement at work and how important it is for the leadership of an organization to make sure that people are engaged in their day-to-day work and they mm-hmm. discover that engagement is all around having meaningful work and personal growth. Mm-hmm. And if you can put the work two together, it also helps to increase productivity. But the challenge is so few people think about how do you make sure that individuals have meaningful work and what is meaning for individuals and how is that meaning aligned would see greater purpose of the organization. Cynthia, that's such a rich topic. And I'm going to transition at this point as we're wrapping up both your interview and the series of interviews from the 20th Annual Conference. What would you like our listeners to walk away with is the question that you're sitting with right now and looking at the next 20 years? The thing that we are looking at is how do we continue to bring together all these individuals who have the passion and the real sense of purpose, going back to that word, mm-hmm. around leadership for a better world. And so how do we in the ILA bring together people in its trusted faith across all distance and discipline to play a vital role in ensuring that the fact thinking about the processes of leadership is developed and disseminated. And then that second thing that we continue to really grapple with is making sure that we have a commitment to delivering trusted sources of leadership resources for the greater good for all, because we need to have this thriving global leadership community 
throughout the world in our individual local communities, which of course are all interconnected, but also for the greater good of everybody in our global community. Thank you. I love the spirit of this and that those of us who have the privileged roles of leadership really do have stewardship for everyone. Thank you, Cynthia. This is, as always, quite a delight. And as we close this session, I encourage our listeners, if you haven't checked out the ILA, Cynthia, remind us of the URL. It is ila-net.org. And as we close, I encourage our listeners to email me your comments, info at innovateleader.com. I love to hear from you.